listening to The Edge, everything bass fishing, coming to you worldwide from Megawind Kill Guard Studios. Aaron, I've got the green beer on tap, ready for this March 15 episode coming up. St. Patty's Day. Dude, that's still like one of the holidays. You know, I think Lucky Charms and, and uh, Leprechauns. And dude, what is Patty's Day all about other than green beer? Um, What's the famous food that you eat? Is it the um, corned beef and cabbage? Am I thinking right on that? That sounds good to me. Okay. I love right. corned beef and yeah. cabbage. Let's do it. All right. I, I, yeah. So, you know, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know what the history is. It's normally centered around uh, you being inebriated. I know that. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just joking there. But, uh, you know, we get. We we do have to keep things on the up and up, kind of PG, because our friends at MegaWare Keelguard have been with us for all 396 episodes supporting our antics, Kurt, and you and I at the mic for a very, very long period of time. And by all means, we are talking about all things for your boat, and that is the do-it-yourself keel protector, the battery guard, the flex step, one of my favorite, and the list goes on and on. Be sure to check out all those things at MegaWare.com. Aaron, I got to bring this up real quick with MegaWare. The Icon boat that was launched at the Bassmaster Classic. If you look closely, you're going to see keel guards, MegaWare keel guards installed on all the Icon boats. It is an option, but hey, look, you got to give the props out to the folks at MegaWare for tying into this awesome new launch of a new product in the industry. Absolutely. And to me, it's not an option, Kurt, and I'm sure you would feel the same way. Whoever would ever consider ordering a boat without a MegaWare keel protector on it, I don't know why you would ever spend $80,000, $90,000 for a boat and not have one of those on it. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. So I know you got to spend some time looking at that and yeah, pretty cutting edge and pretty cutting edge for MegaWare to be a part of that. Absolutely, man. Excited for them. Talking about cutting edge, Aaron. Let's tell the folks what's going on near future, starting with the next episode, the April 1st. It could be an April Fool's video. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I will go ahead and put that rumor to rest. It is not April Fool's. (laughs) Very, very excited. We've been actually been talking about this for uh, working on this for, I think, seven, eight months, talking about it probably a little bit longer than that. And what I'm referencing is just a big transition for Bass Edge, adding the video component. Long overdue, long overdue. Very excited to get this launched. You've got the studio that's built there in Del Rio. And, you know, Kurt, the other thing that's kind of part of this, I'm going to really step into more of the role that I really love, you know, from its, I guess, inception of really working with our partners kind of behind the scenes, if you will, and continuing to develop those relationships relationships there and working on those as you and the rest of the production crew take Bass Edge really in a direction and add to. You know, I don't want to take away anything that we've done over the last, uh, I don't know, since 2006, 2007, but it is certainly time. I have done every single episode and it's time to add some new creativity in there and go with the direction that you've got us mapped out on. And so I'm excited to share that with everybody. Yeah. And just so that everybody knows, you're still going to be able to stream Bass Edge on the same media platforms that you have been We're just adding to it. So we're going to add that video component. You'll be able to check it out on YouTube and uh, just Google up the uh, Bass Edge YouTube channel. I believe it's at Bass Edge Radio. But if you Google that up, you're going to find our YouTube channel. You'll see some video beginning with this April 1 episode. Again, like I said, if you want to continue streaming on 
all the uh, previous platforms that you've been using to listen to us here at Bass Edge Radio. You can continue to do that. But if you want to look at my ugly face more often, we're going to be able to do a lot of things, Aaron. We're going to be able to uh, show and talk about more of these techniques, continuing to focus on the education for the angler, right? So, you know, talking about intricacies of lures, products that are catching fish that are being successful out there on the tournament scene, uh, obviously bringing the anglers into the uh, studio light, not actually down here in Del Rio, but via video, wherever they're at in the world. So, uh, man, I'm excited for it. It's going to be a challenge. It might not come out as the uh, original best video that we're going to see, but as always here at Bass Edge, we are going to continue to progress and provide the best educational platform out here in the podcast world, you, the Bass Anglers of the Universe. Interesting thing is, Kurt, when you look at the evolution, right, of Bass Edge, it was always started off of that education piece, you know, kind of one of the taglines, pursue your passion, right? That's kind of where it was birthed out of. But we started in video. And the funny thing is that, you know, the thought was the television show would capture, right, the entertainment and the masses of education. Then the more serious people would then also follow that to the website. And then the really serious people would follow us to this thing called a podcast that nobody knew what the hell it was at that point right, in time. That's right. You know, so now it's kind of coming full circle to where the audio portion and adding that video component back in. I'm excited for you guys. I'm excited for Bass Edge Nation, where it's went and, you know, where you have grown this with just the production elements to it, the guests, the topics. It has gotten, you know, pardon the pun, but way out over my skis when on some of these topics that we've been talking about. So I've learned a lot along the way and it's time to pass that baton on to somebody else. The hardest thing for me, Aaron, is going to be missing you. Missing you on every <laughs> <Yeah>. episode. <laughs> oh my God. Dude, I'm funny. serious. I, dude, I mean, we've been doing this a long time, you know, together since 2010 years. And obviously you did it, you know, seven years prior to that. I think, you know, you had a, a year off there when the economy was going uh, obscure and, and we had to focus on some other things and the TV program kind of halted at a point, but then, you know, picked back up with the podcasting and, and you did it with uh, Steve Brigman for several years. Sure, and, sure. and dude, you've been at this a long, long time. How are you going to step away? Um, well, in all seriousness, I do appreciate that, but it's not, you know, I don't want to say it's, it's not going to be difficult, but it's also not going to be difficult because, and the reason being, remember, I have been so passionate. The brand has survived through a lot of different economics to just changes in technology and really our audience. It, that's really what it comes out to is, is Bass Edge Nation, the constant emails or the text of getting, hey, we've learned so much or somebody that has started out as a high school or college angler or never fished a tournament that has had success. That's the reason why we do that. And so that's really been my motivation to continue to do this and then kind of pairing up with yourself and really somebody that understands where it needs to go and kind of protect that shield, if you will, and kind of that Bass Edge logo. That means something to me and what it stands for and all the people down through the years that have made it what it is. It's not me. I mean, it's it's our guests and people like you, Kurt. So anyway, that's how I'm able to step away. Well, we're going to miss you on the mic. Mike, for sure, this is the last episode that Aaron's going to be fully on the front end of this, but of course, still very active behind the scenes with Bass Edge. And uh, surely, I'm going to I'm going to yank him out of the closet from now and then and get him on the video. So uh, <laughs> this won't be the last time, but uh, certainly it'll be uh, it'll be a little bit before we're able to see you again. But uh, man, thank you for everything you've done. I'm excited for this last episode. We've got a great showcase segment coming up here in just a moment. A great featured angler. Y'all stay tuned. We're going to be right back after this message and continue on with Bass Edge Radio. 
Nitro Performance Bass Boats. Get pro-level performance with the Nitro Z18, the official boat of Major League Fishing. The Z18, with its nimble handling and versatility, sports many of the features in the larger boats in the line, like a Guardian Live Well, a heavily insulated cooler, dual 8-foot rod storage, and our smooth and fast NVT hull. Every Nitro boat is laid out to do one thing very well, catch fish. Enormous front decks up to 45 square feet on the Z21 allow maximum mobility when battling unruly bass and feature low-profile gunnels for ease of skipping, pitching, flipping, or landing fish. Nitro Performance Bass Boats, pure fishing machines. Aaron, this guy gets the stats, the scoop, the dirt, the drama. Let's just say he gets it all and provides it to every bass head out there, as he likes to refer to them, uh, in the universe throughout touching an email newsletter. Also got some great social media platform. He's really been busting out there, but we're talking about Bass Blaster and my man, our friend, Jay Kumar. We're going to dive deep into some of his news of recent and learn more about kind of a showcase or an article, our showcase, but his article of lures that have been most effective over recent tournament history. Excellent to have him back on the show. Our friend, Jay Kumar. Jay, are you ready for some bass? What's up, guys? Yeah, I'm ready. Let's go. All right, Jay. I love the energy, love the content, and I love the fact that you can actually take bass information, empirical data like you've done, Kurt mentioned, you know, last month, top 10 tournament baits, and certainly Brian Waldman, a huge, huge help to you on that. But what was the driving force to put this kind of research into understanding those stats and assisting you? And how did you put that information together? I'm I'm pretty sure you studied more on this than what you ever did in your longevity of college. (laughs) Well, it was more fun, that's for sure. (laughs) But yeah, I think there were these lists that came out a few years ago, you know, the top 10 bass baits of all time, or there's a couple of them. And I was like, okay, you know, at some point we have to do it just for tournaments, the tournament bass baits of all time. And finally, you know, the stars align with Brian wanting to do it or help or whatever you want to call that. And he did a great job. And then just plain old curiosity. Like, what would be on the list? What would top the list? So that's how we got after it. Well, Jay, you know, you get in the middle of these kind of tornadoes and and these research things that we all do. And obviously you with these top tournament techniques and tournament baits more accurately. What did you think when you finally started putting this information together? Obviously, you you saw the picture before you let the uh, readers from Bass Blaster know about it. Were there any surprises for you or, you know, what was your thoughts when you finally had the list all together? I don't think there were surprises for what was there. I think one surprise was, for example, the Senko didn't even make the list. But, you know, you can't argue with stats like it's either there or it isn't there. I think obviously the Senko catches tons of bass for lots of people, but it doesn't win tournaments. It doesn't win major tournaments. And that was, you know, basically the tour levels got the most weight and then going down from there, you know, triple A, double A, whatever we looked at as well. So I'm not surprised by the baits that are there, honestly. I think they all, I mean, obviously they deserve to be there, but they, you know, intuitively should be there. So interestingly enough, you look at tournament baits and anglers are are obviously paid to promote certain types of baits. Do you feel like these are the best 
bass catching baits for obviously the biggest bass or the most productive baits because they won tournaments or in some categories do you feel like they're the best promoted baits to a certain extent what's your thought process there I think it's mostly the former, a little bit the latter. I mean, they kind of go together, you know, at the top level, you know, they go together a little bit. Like, for example, you know, okay, Strike King sponsors Kevin Van Dam. Kevin Van Dam helps them design crankbaits, and then Kevin goes on a roll for 20 years winning all kinds of stuff. He's the best ever. I mean, does that help the Strike King crankbait category? Of course it does, you know, but nobody knew Kevin was going to do that. I probably, maybe he knew, I don't know. But at the same time, you get baits that just come along and are that kind of world altering, like the Reaction Innovations Beaver, which is number four on the list, the Spro Bronze Eye Frog, number five, the Kai Tech Fat Swimbait, number seven, and then the Mega Bass Vision 110 Jerkbait, number 10. I mean, people just fish those things regardless of sponsorship or promotion because they catch them. Right. Totally agree. Great breakdown. Curious to know, Jay, on that, over the next 10 years, right, we have kind of these categorical baits that are listed. Do you see a dilution like because of knockoffs and things like that coming out that would take away, you know, perhaps over the next five or 10 years? Or do you see completely new categories coming about that's not even on the list? What does your crystal ball say? Yeah, well, I don't have a crystal ball, but, you know, I'm curious about how things like forward-facing sonar might change this list, you know, where you have guys dropping these little swim baits down to bass that, you know, never saw a bait potentially before, uh, suspended fish that gets fished for a lot now in tournaments that never did before. Uh, So we might see some moving around with that. And then also one reason I think Strike King was number one and number two is because they were the pioneers and really using their pro staff to help them design baits. And then their pros would go out and do great things with those baits. Is that going to continue? It's a new ownership group there. Will somebody else step up? Will some other company that sponsors some other fishermen like a Jacob Wheeler or a Jordan Lee or, uh, you know, a Jason Christie, when those guys get rolling and get hot, will they influence the list a lot because of how they or what they're using? You know, so there's a lot out there. But I think the biggest thing is, you know, forward facing sonar and technology. Will that change some of the list away from power fishing to finesse fishing? Yeah, totally agree. I, I do think it will change. I think some of these baits will move up the list just because the style of baits that they are, you know, swim baits, jerk baits, and some will move down the list. Right. So it, it'll be interesting to see kind of that shakeup. You mentioned a couple, Jay, of your top 10 list. I'm going to just break it down for everybody real quick. Number one was Strike King Crankbaits. Number two, Strike King Jigs. Uh, Maybe going back, Jay, you got a pretty good jig fisherman crew over there with the Strike King crowd. So maybe that played into that, the Denny's and the Hackney's, and and we could go on and on. But number three, Zoom Worms. Number four, Reaction Innovation Sweet Beaver. Number five, Spro Bronze Eye Frog. Number six, the Chatterbait, Jack 
jackhammer. Uh, number seven, Kitech Fat Swim Baits. Number eight, the Robo Worm, drop shotted. Number nine, War Eagle Spinner Baits. And number 10, Mega Bass Vision 110 Jerk Baits. So, uh, man, that's a great rundown of that top 10, all the research that you did. Jay, what's going on over there at Bass Blaster? What can we expect next to help us all become better anglers and enjoy the entertainment of your email newsletter? Yeah, well, I mean, more of the same in a way. I mean, we're just going to keep doing what we do, covering the tournaments, getting the bait and equipment insight, finding stuff out that most people don't hear about. That's kind of how we do it, as you know, and what we do. So uh, if people are interested in getting the kind of not a broad, broad, broad overview, but kind of the little intricate details and some of the fun stuff that a lot of people don't know, you know, that's a reason to subscribe to the Bass Blaster. Well, certainly we enjoy it very much, Jay, and I, and I know a lot of Bass Edge Nation does as well, but in the event that uh, we have some stragglers that have yet to kind of reach over and take part in getting that themselves or maybe just don't know how or new to the program, can you let them know how to go about doing that or how to reach out to you and get that dropped in their inbox a couple times? a week yeah well a couple ways thank you one is to uh, go to bassblaster.com or dot rocks to sign up uh, you can email me at bassblaster at bassblaster.com and for anybody out there who's you know doesn't want to read words and is into video more go to jay kumar's bass blaster on youtube and we got a top five of the week rundown every week in video form, which is a lot of fun, a lot of funny stuff in there, plus great info. So those are the easiest and best ways to uh, check it out. Excellent stuff. And and just so everybody knows, that's where we got our information, BassBlaster.rocks. You can go back and look at the breakdown of that top 10 tournament lure list if you want to uh, review that. And Jay talks about lots of runner-ups and other lures that have been crazily effective out there on the tournament scene. So uh, be sure you check that out. Jay, thanks so much for stopping by with us again here at Bass Edge Radio. Look forward to continue reading those Bass Blasters. Man, I love that stuff. Y'all stay tuned. We're going to roll into our feature angler spotlight right after this message. This is FLW Tour Pro Brian Latimer. This is Bass Pro Tour Angler Art Defoe. Hey everybody, this is Pro Angler Kevin Short. This is BASS Elite Series Professional Kelly J. I'm FLW Tour Angler Scott Ashmore. This is Professional Bass Angler Brad Hallman, and you're listening to Bass Edge Radio. Know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything else other than the original and toughest DIY keel protector for your boat, MegaWare Keel Guard. Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our exclusive contoured edge and patented technology. MegaWare KeelGuard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the longest-lasting, most dependable keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. Developed specifically by boat builders, offering the best keel protection in the industry. Also for MegaWare Keel Guard, Skeg Guard, Flex Step Pro, and Pontoon Guard. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. MegaWare Keel Guard. Aaron, we start off our feature angler interview in this episode, and and uh, man, excited that we've got second year MLF Bass Pro Tour angler. 
after his first top 10 on that BBT tour. Man, look forward to checking in with Dylan Hayes, getting his thoughts on the Bass Pro Tour since he moved up from the pro circuit in 2021. Aaron, let's get him right on. Welcome back to Bass Edge, professional angler Dylan Hayes. Great to have you back on the program, Dylan. What's up, guys? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad y'all have me on here this morning. I'm looking forward to it. It means things are going well for you, Dylan. And, you know, going back to the fall of 2019, since that Toyota Series win on uh, one of my favorite lakes, Lake of the Ozarks, that kind of sets you on a good roll. And, you know, we interviewed you here on the program. Lots, obviously, has been happening in your career. First off, congratulations on opening up the season with your first BPT Bass Pro Tour Top 10 on Kissimmee chain as you begin your second year there how was the transition as you moved from let's say the mlf pro circuit in 2021 to the bpt in 2022 and now in your second year in 2023 man honestly i love fishing the best road tour i love the format i love knowing what everybody has at all times you just adjust on the water so much quicker and that alone has made me better i also love the fact that you don't have to run back at the end of the day so it doesn't matter how far (laughs) away you are that's like the best thing you can keep going and going and going time runs out you can just cruise back it's, it's a really cool format man that last year every fish counted every fish with a the minimum weight that was set for that event right and that is I'll, I'll be honest with you that's a lot harder format to keep up because i mean i'm telling you i tell people all the time if you cranked your motor and ran five miles you just failed two places because people are catching bass um but that we changed it this year, 23 to five fish to try to relate to more the more everyday fishermen because they most people fish five fish tournaments. And then it was voted on and, and it was agreed to, to change it. And I also think they got it right. And I'll be the first to tell you I voted to keep it the same because uh, I was really kind of getting into it. But it, it works out either way. I mean, I, I still think you're going to have the same people be successful either way. And, and the, if you watch the last event we just had, I mean, there was as much drama as there ever has been with the five fish versus the every fish counts. I mean, it was it was still fast and furious either way. I definitely think it's going to create more drama. You're going to get more of those changes, just like we saw Chris, you know, get the W there at the very end and, um, you know, beating out Mark Davis, who had a what would have been considered an insurmountable lead in the every fish catch. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, because he would have been able to run away with it even more on day one. We saw that in several events um, in the past. And, and it, I don't want to say it was anticlimactic, but, you know, guys would lay off their fish, you know, and especially right. in the qualifying rounds. And, and there might be a little chase to qualify directly to the championship in that every fish catch formats and, and skip the knockout round. But really, that never served anyone very good. Every person that, that would jump right into the championship round, they would do terrible. You know, in every that time. You're right. Yeah, it was it was crazy. But I mean they would guarantee themselves some points. But uh, anyway, I love this new format. I think it's really cool. It actually benefited you. You had a tough first day in your qualifying round, and then you were able to jump back and have a giant day two. I think you had 24, 25 pounds on your second day of qualifying, which got you to the knockout round you know let's talk a little bit about that process and how kind of mentally you have to stay in the game even though you get behind and and how you're able to jump forward and finish kind of sixth place overall in in that event after a tough start i would love to tell you the story it's it's really funny and i'm proud of myself for keeping it together mentally and that's a really hard thing to do it's something i've learned you know this being on tour over the years so the last time i went to toho and kissimmee i finished 165th in a pro circuit event like my second year on tour this is my worst career tournament 
by far. And in that event, I caught some in Toho in practice, caught some of Kissimmee in practice, but I thought I could do better in Toho. Well, I spent all my time in Toho the first day and just had a terrible day. And the next day I went to Kissimmee and everywhere I got bit in Kissimmee, there were four or five boats and like every place, everybody had 15 to 22 pounds. I mean, mm-hmm. I was like, Dylan, you dummy, like you picked the wrong freaking lake. <laughs> and and so I was trying not to do that again. Well, I get down there this time and, you know, I have I have that experience in my pocket. Well, I looked at Toho the first day. We were staying like a block away from the ramp. And I said, well, I'm going to look at Toho day one and Kissimmee day two. Looked at Toho day one, caught some fish. I mean, I probably had 15 keepers, never caught a big one. But I, I found an offshore place I thought I could catch some, and uh, I just thought it would be okay. I mean, I thought I could figure it out. Well, day two, I went to Kissimmee. This is where I messed up. The wind blew like 40 miles an hour that day. I mean, really legit 40 miles an hour. It was probably right. the worst wind I've ever fished in. Right. And it was just, it made it impossible to, to locate very much on Kissimmee itself. And But I rolled through an area that I caught some the first time I went, and there was, like, really, really pretty grass. I spent, like, an hour and a half in there trying to battle the wind and try to get some bites. Never had a bite. Well, I bailed once the wind really, really picked up, and I came up to uh, the little lakes. Like, in between Toho and Kissimmee, there's two other lakes. Hatchinall, Hatch and Cypress. Yeah. Hatch and, yep, and Cypress. And uh, I was just really trying to get out of the wind. I mean, it was just – I was trying to – that was some sort of practice day. Well, I went in the hatch and and, and I had a few bites. Uh, wasn't great, but I caught a three pounder and I shook another one, a big one off on a frog that, I mean, it was a big one. And I was like, well, this might be something, you know? And well, first day of the tournament, me and Nick LeBrun start on the same exact offshore place in Toho. <laughs> and, and, it, and honestly, I mean the same cast. Wow. And I said, well, well this, I, and I never caught a big one there, but I had like six or eight bites really fast. And I, I saw, it gave me a lot of confidence more than anything because, I mean, Nick's a really good fisherman. I thought there might be some big ones here. Right. Well, that morning was really cold, and they didn't want to chase. And me and Nick spent like an hour, hour and a half there, never caught a bass. Neither one of us did. And I thought, I mean, this is mind-blowing because you know there's some bass there. Right. Well, I left and went on the bank, and I was catching some swimming a Brazalo jig around, too. I went through a little stretch where I had five or six spots, never had a bite. I'm like, all right, this is not good. Well, at the end of the first period, there was 10 guys that had not caught a bass, and I lay eyes on five of them in Toho. <laughs> you right. That's the thing about Florida. We we actually had Josh. We were on the last episode. We talked about his Okeechobee win, and uh, unfortunately, or whatever, very rarely do you find a wad of fish on your own. And if you Definitely aren't around right. other boats, a lot of times you just ain't around fish. I know. That's true. Well, so, I mean, I wasn't being an idiot. I was like, Dylan, you, you got to get out of this lake. I mean, I knew, I thought Wheeler was on that lake, but, I mean, he was doing Wheeler things and he was off his own. But, but everybody else was struggling. So I, I locked. I locked on the first the first lock, the first period, the first break. And uh, I went down and I stopped in the hatch. And I caught one, like 11 o'clock in the first period. And then I had, like, I missed a couple other bites, and I was getting some bites finally. Well, that ended up being the only one I caught in the second period. Third period starts, and I was like, well, I'm going to hit one little tiny stretch where I had a few bites, and then I'm, I'm going to go to Kissimmee, even though I didn't, like, catch anything in Kissimmee hardly. Well, I put Tromar down, and I caught me, I caught two keepers, like a two-pounder two and, like, a one over three pounds, and had, like, two other bites. So I was two fish away from my limit, 
there was like an hour and a half, hour and 45 left to go. And I was like, man, if you just stay here, fish around for an hour and a half or something, you'll probably catch two more fish and you won't risk anything running to Kissimmee, you know, taking another 25-minute run. Right. So I just, I just kind of settled in and, and was trying to establish the first day. Oh, man, I, I never caught anything else. Like, never did. And so I ended the first day with three bass that weighed, I think, like six pounds. And I was in 38th place out of 40. At least Van Dam was behind you. <laughs> Everybody was telling me that, too. I said, yeah, that's probably why he's retiring. Right. That's fine. <laughs> but, but so I'm, I'm way behind. And, I, you know, it doesn't take a, a genius to figure this out. But I never saw another boat. I'm like, Dylan, the whole field beats you, and you never even saw anybody. Like, what are you doing? Well, so the second day, I was like, I'm I'm all in on Kissimmee. I, I'm going to figure something out. I got all day. I have nothing to lose at this point, you know? And so I ran down to Kissimmee, and I ran to that grass that I did not have a bite in practice. And I pulled up there, and there's like Takahiro. He was probably 100, 150 yards to my right. And uh, there was one other boat, probably another, I don't know, maybe 150 yards plus to my left. But like I just pulled in, I just pulled in right where I had fished in practice. And man, I like I caught three on the speed worm in the first 10 or 15 minutes. Right. And they, they weren't big ones, but I was getting bites. You know, I didn't even get a bite till 11 o'clock. Be- better day. than day one, right? <laughs> yeah, right. And I told I told my official, I said, I'm a freaking idiot for not coming here. I'm telling you, like I'm fixing to catch them here. Well, I, I started just kind of fishing around, and I caught a 515. And I'm like, okay. Like now, now that I see Tox, Tox's kind of getting closer to me. Well, I watched him catch like a, a three and a, a 314. I'm like, all right, there's some big ones here. I got to do. I'm not leaving. I'm not. How leaving. does that work? You guys have such a small field. Do y'all talk much when you're on the lake at all, or is it still kind of the uh, same protocol when you're in a big field? Just everybody's doing their own thing and head down. I mean, we talked a little, but not much. I mean, for gotcha. one, there's a slight language barrier between me and Takahiro. <laughs> right, right. I mean, but, but, you know, we never were like side by side by any means. It's just, it's just a, we were just kind of every once in a while get close enough to shout back and forth. But sure. We, uh, you know, I mean, no means were we like on top of each other. Right. right. And, uh, but I watched him catch a couple of solid ones. Then I caught, you know, one right at six pounds. Well, like 10 minutes later, I caught, one that weighed like five five and now i got like 17 or 18 pounds and i'm like man like that's this is this is this is good wait i mean this is the first period and i thought i needed i really thought i needed like 17 or 18 pounds to make the cut and i thought i'd already maybe already had it but the cut line went up i mean it, it, it went up like two or three pounds and i ended up i had to have right at 20 pounds to make the cut well you know, again, I'm, I'm trying to learn this area. You know, I didn't accomplish anything in practice. So I'm just kind of moving around, moving around, moving around where I catch one that's like three and change. I ended up calling up to like 21. And I'm like, I, I should be pretty good. Like, I, I think I'm going to save this little area now. So I, I leave it. And I was like, I'm going to try to practice some more. I had, you know, about a period and a half left to practice. And I grabbed a swim jig. And I was catching a lot of fish on a swim jig, but I couldn't get a whole lot of quality again this is in toho though and i start throwing a swim jig and I, i'm getting three or four bites within boom dude i catch a six six in like eight inches of water on a swim jig nice absolutely crushed it 
you know, and that, that picked me up to 24. And I'm like, well, I'm for sure in definitely now. Definitely in the knockout. Def- yeah. Definitely in now. I mean, I, and I just spent the rest of the day kind of, kind of moving around practicing trying to see if i could get anything else in my back pocket for the rest of the event in case i needed it but i, I never really found anything else that i needed i mean i had i had a pretty good size area and i pretty much have spent the rest of the tournament there so you just milk like a knockout round and championship round obviously you everybody fishes the knockout round that went through the qualifying which is the top 40 and then the top 10 make the championship so you got through the qualifying rounds you go to the knockout round you just basically lean on those areas as hard as you can and and the fish keep coming championship changed a little bit weather changed again but uh you stayed pretty consistent yeah well i I knew there was some big ones there it definitely got harder to catch fish i saw like the the first day or the day i was down there i had 24 pounds i watched takahiro catch the nine eights off the same cast i caught the 515 like an hour later and the others i was just knew there was great big ones and that's what you get to have in florida some, some great big ones on the knockout round day i'll back it up even more after that was over the 24 pound day uh alton jones jr he came up to me at the boat ramp when we got back and he's he had saw me he had drove by me and saw me where i was fishing and he said hey man I'm just gonna let you know he's like i caught some there the first day i was saving it i didn't go there the second day uh, but you'll probably see me there tomorrow. <laughs> so I'm like, great. You know, but he was up front and I thought that yeah. was pretty cool of him. And uh, he's like, I'm not going to start there though. I got another place I'm going to start. I was like, okay, cool. Well, the knockout round, I missed the first lock. So that was 14 guys that beat me down there by about 15 minutes. And I get down there and well, Takahiro's there and I knew he was probably going to be there, obviously. And Alton Jones Jr. is there. Like, I'm like, what the heck? He said he wasn't going to start here. And I was like, I said, hey, Junior, I said, I thought you weren't going to start here. He said, I didn't. I'm like, dang, what'd you do? Go somewhere else and throw two times and then come over here? <laughs> and that's basically what he did. But he, we just kind of, we never, it, it was a big enough area to hold us. And I watched, I watched Junior catch a seven and a half pounder that day. And it wasn't a lot of bites, man. And I was throwing a speed worm and they were throwing a chatterbait and throwing a spinnerbait and, I was getting way more bites than they were, so I just I just locked it in my hand. And that day, you know, I just I kept catching some, kept catching some. But uh, what really changed that day was in the afternoon. I started like really kind of expanding even more, and I caught a six three. I mean, like it, I don't know, it was like one or two o'clock in the afternoon, and and that jumped me up to fifth from thirteenth to fifth. But this goes back to that drama, man. In like 30, 40 minutes, I went from fifth back down to 11. I'm like, what the heck is going on? I mean, I thought maybe I was in at that point. Well, I had, I think at one time I was 10th, but 9th was only one ounce ahead of me. And I said, I said, I can go catch like a two, two and a half pounder on a swim jig and, and gain that one little spot back, you know, only one ounce. So I did. I picked the tow motor up and I went to the bank and man, it didn't take me 20 minutes and I catch one that that was like two, two, four, two, five, and I jumped up a place. And I was like, man, that was pretty clutch move. That might, that might get me in, you know. Right. And well, well, I left there and I had like 30 minutes left and I went back to my grass and I catch a little one and then like I didn't know it, but I felt that's when I fell to 11th and like two casts later I catch one right over three pounds. And that that called me up again about 10 ounces, and I jumped up to 
eighth and ultimately finished ninth. But, man, it was so much right there at the end. But there was a couple of really clutch late-day catches that, that got me into that final day. Well, like I say, it's hard to be consistent in Florida. You managed that. You know, obviously you had a rough first day, but but from there on out, the rest of the tournament, man, great job. Finished sixth place overall. Super consistent. You're getting ready for stage two, man. Coming up, Lake Douglas, Cherokee, likely a true pre-spawn event on an impoundment. Um, what are you going to look for to be successful on those types of highland fisheries in mid-March? Man, that that is that is probably my favorite type of event to fish. To be honest with you, Highland Lakes pre-spawn. I mean, we have a lot of Highland Lakes in Arkansas, and I, I just I love pre-spawn time of year. Period. And and honestly, I don't know if you remember or not, but it, I finished third at Cherokee in a tour event there a few yep. years ago. And so I'm I really do, excited to get back. Yeah, yeah, I do remember, and uh, I remember exactly what happened. So you know, folks could probably research that online. But yeah, you you kind of did your own thing, and and uh, caught a lot of big fish for that lake, and and had a great event. So do you feel like you'll lean on some of those experiences that you had success there in the pro circuit event that that'll work again for you here in this format? A, a little bit, but we'll see. We start on Douglas, and we had to get through Douglas to get, make to, get to Cherokee get, to get to Cherokee. Gotcha. I've been to Douglas one time. I fished the Bassmaster Open there. I sucked the first day and had like the biggest bag of tournament the second day. And it was pre-spawn then too. So, I mean, I'm looking forward to it. I'm really comfortable on Highland Lakes in general, especially in pre-spawn, especially on lakes where there's not a lot of docks or anything. And I can just run, you know, natural cover. You know, you just look for a lot of staging areas, places that are going to stop before they spawn. And, man, I really am excited to get back up there and, and try to figure it out and hopefully just keep some momentum going. Awesome, man. Well, we're going we're gonna to take a quick break. We're going to dive into some of those pre-spawn tactics, maybe how technology's changed, you know, an approach to some of these pre-spawn things and identifying a fisher in either late winter or definitively in pre-spawn patterns. But, fellas, we're going to take a pause in the action, power pole down for a moment. Don't go away. Bass Edge Radio return in a moment. Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the Power Pole is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift, Power Pole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, Power Pole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong current or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. Power Pole, swift, silent, secure. Visit PowerPole.com to find a dealer near you. Bass Edge, presented in part by Bass Pro Shops, returns with MLF Bass Pro Tour angler Dylan Hayes in this episode's featured angler spotlight. Brought to us in part by Bass Pro Shops. Remember, we all live downstream. Dylan, talking a little bit now more about the uh, pre-spawn nature, you know, fish coming from late winter, moving into that pre-spawn spring patterns. Man, I want to talk a little bit about forward-facing sonar. Does this technology help you determine quicker now kind of the stage of fish behavior during this time of year? And if so, how and how do you identify quickly where the fish are in their behavior patterns? Yeah, absolutely it does. I mean, because it shows you simply whether or not they're there or not. It shows you, I mean, if you throw a bait in there, it shows you, how they're reacting to the lure and, and if you can get them fired up real quick or get a bite or not and 
for facing sonar in general, you know, it's a, it's a double-edged sword because you can be throwing a fish that won't bite. You can be throwing a fish that aren't even bass. <laughs> so it, it takes, it, you know, it takes a lot of time to, to learn that. I'll be honest with you. I mean, I think it takes like a full year to really, really learn how to distinguish different types of species and, and in size too sometimes. And most of the time, I'm just looking for bites. I mean, I'll work outside later. So it's it, it does take some training and some learning, but it's a very helpful tool, you know, when you pull up to, especially offshore, anything offshore, I mean, and you're looking around and you, you either see them or you don't. I mean, if you don't see them, I mean, it's not lying. They're probably not going to be there. It Take, takes but, the guesswork out of stuff like it used to be. Right. right? You, you can just break down the lake so much faster. You know, in those lakes we're going to, Douglas and Cherokee, there's a lot of smallmouth on those places too. So smallmouth, you know, it, it definitely four patient sonar definitely makes catching smallmouth easier because they're more, you know, nomadic and they, they roam around more and get offshore a lot more. And you, you can you can play with that a little bit more. So definitely, definitely we'll be using it some when we get up there. Dylan, I know you uh, like catching fish however they're, they're going to bite, but do you have a preferred way, you know, or a preferred style, I guess, of fishing? I, you know, are you one to typically stay in, you know, shallow or, or do you kind of like staying out in the depths in the early off season? Can you talk a little bit about that? Man, honestly, what I tell people all the time, I don't care what they bite as long as I figure out something that they're biting. I mean, I feel like that's my biggest strength is being really versatile. I'm just as comfortable flipping a mat and, you know, a couple of feet of water in Florida as I am catching a smallmouth on a drop shot 50 foot deep. I like to do all of it. But what I will say is I feel like I have a better shot of being successful in the event when I do find them offshore. They seem more dependable, you know, and less likely to be pressured by other people if you can find something kind of sneaky off the bank well whether it be off the bank in florida maybe three or four foot deep or off the bank on a lake that maybe 20 30 foot deep uh, so i like to look offshore for sure um, but sometimes they're, they're not offshore sometimes some junkers are on the bank and <laughs> you just kind of gotta i just try to do a little bit of everything no matter what and and what but i don't try to cover every pattern in the whole lake when i get there i just try to find something that's producing the size and numbers that I'm looking for enough to be competitive and, and run with that, you know, and maybe have a couple of backup patterns, but that's, that's the biggest advice for anyone trying to, you know, break down something is just, just figure out something. There's always a hundred ways to catch a bass. There's always bass in all sorts of different stages, but just figure out something and, and run with it. You know, uh, we talk about different types of impoundments, even though you know your your upcoming MLF Bass Pro Tour event there on Douglas and Cherokee, still really different, and, and want to kind of dive in on how rivers affect pre-spawn conditions, why or why not? Maybe it's a place to look for early season bass. You look at Douglas, you know, obviously got two river systems coming into it, but they're smaller systems. You know, they're they're almost creeks. Uh, st- I don't say streams, but smaller rivers that come in and feed Lake Douglas. Whereas you go over to Cherokee. It's a big river, you know, that's flowing in behind a dam and another lake, and there's a lot more current in in that lake. Um, Talk about the differences between the two and how they affect pre-spawn bass. Do you you like to run up rivers this time of year? If so, what are you looking for, or are you just trying to stay in a different section of the lake? No, you definitely can can use the rivers to your advantage, pre-spawn or especially pre-spawn because they're you know come they're eventually coming to the bank uh the one thing the rivers do this time of year is that they create some high water you know that 
there may be some flooded bushes or something on the bank that they'll get in and either spawn or stage before they spawn. It also creates a lot more watercolor on those highland type reservoirs. You can, you know, you might can get away with power fishing a little bit more up the river and, and looking for bigger bites versus if you didn't have very much rain or something or, or current, or you, you might have to go back down the lake some more and uh, finesse fish more likely. But like in our format on the Bass Pro Tour, we're we're not looking for every fish count anymore. We're looking for the five biggest ones in one day. So I will like to power fish more in general to try to generate some, some bigger bites. Yeah, that makes sense. And, you know, kind of along those same lines of you had mentioned about going up the river or, um, you know, do you need to stay put and stay down? I, I, my next question kind of centers around that and the and fish progression or, or, or the behavior, you know, it's talked about uh, being able to kind of follow a maybe it's the spawn uh, from up at the headwaters down lake by the dam. Is that something mm-hmm. that you try to follow on a fishery? And if you're able, uh, what bass behavior stage do you try to find yourself staying in for the best fishing that suits your desire? Right. And yeah, that's something I didn't really think about till you said it, but bass on, on, on big, bigger lakes like that will definitely be in different stages on different sections of the lake. You know, the bottom of the lake is usually cooler and colder and they, they spawn a little bit later than they do up in the rivers or you have dirtier water and a lot of times like some warmer spring rains but you either way you just still have to find something that you can be successful at i mean i, I will definitely check up in the river some and, and look for fish that are setting up getting ready to spawn but it doesn't always work i mean it could get blowed out with a bunch of rain and get really dirty and trash and it won't work i will say this Normally, day in and day out, the lower end of the lakes are, are more consistent because they're less affected by weather changes. I'll definitely look at both e- either way. It's fun to think about this from like a local fishing perspective. Obviously, a lot of listeners are, are fishing their home lake consistently uh, throughout the year. That's just obviously typical, right? Um, they're, they're not all traveling around the country. Right. Well, like you are or fishing the Toyota series or bass opens or whatever. And um, it's cool that they could, you know, maybe start at their headwaters and see a behavior begin to happen and then follow that throughout the season which might be what do you figure dylan like a six or eight week process that kind of that whole cycle runs through in the springtime that's probably about right that's pretty true for for most lakes that they they spawn up the lake sooner than they do down the lake but i live on lake hamilton arkansas and up the river is the dam separates lake washita from lake hamilton and that water comes out of Lake Washita is really, really cold. So they actually spawn way later up the river there than they do down the bottom of the lake. Great so I guess point. it depends on the actual lake for sure. Yeah, great point. But it but it seems like there's a progression from one end to the other. Well, I guess whichever end that might start Whatever on. Whatever end on, first. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That is super cool. Great, great stuff. All right, man. Well, let's we're gonna move into the listener question. This is brought to us from uh, I know you run a nitro too, so uh, brought to us from right. Nitro Performance Bass Boats. Um, this question comes in from Tom Ryan on our Instagram page. Tom asks if you only have four to six hours to fish, which a lot of case for for weekend anglers, right? Mm-hmm. Do you recommend limiting fishing to a couple of history spots or? just run the lake and power fish even if it means only getting a bite or two this is my biggest advice and this honestly the hardest thing to learn as an angler whether it be a local angler or or you know national pro level angler the biggest advice i give anyone is to always 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 fish conditions history doesn't matter the fish you caught that day 
whether it be a week ago or 10 years ago, or they're biting under those conditions for that day. You know, those weather patterns leading up to that day and during that day. 10 years later, five years later, it, it doesn't matter. Like, it's, it's almost always going to be different, different water levels, different different conditions in general. So, no, if go to the lake and fish conditions always. You know, I, mean, I, I can be very honest with you. I could delete my waypoints right now and, and not not lose sleep over it, not one single bit. Now, sometimes you, you do. I mean, especially like, you know, in the cold winter or in the hot summer, they'll get on some of the, some of the same places offshore. Uh, but especially like this time of year in, in the spring, you know, or even in the fall. No, I mean, if the wind's blowing on one way, you go fish the wind. You know, if you catch them that way one day because the wind's blowing the bank, but you go the next day and the wind's blowing the other way. They're probably, you're probably not going to catch them on, on the on the side where there's no wind now because there's no wind. So go fish the wind on the other side. They're definitely always fish condition. Well, great advice there for sure. And, um, you know, so many times I can speak for myself that when I get caught up in fishing the past or what used to happen or what I think should happen versus what's actually Big happening. Time. So anyway. Big time. Uh, yeah. So I'm going to say one more thing on, on, one more yeah, thing please, on that. Please. I learned my rookie year. Fishing the FOW tour, we could always get a little bit of information until a certain day. You know, sometimes I, I knew somebody that lived on the lake or something. I might get a little information here and there. And we had like uh, three days of practice for them. And so often, I mean, 99% of the time I would go and I would spend my first day looking at previous places that I had fished or, or places that someone said told me to go check out. And the first day was almost always completely wasted because of that. <laughs> and then as the, as the practice progressed, I would just fish what felt good, what looked good to me. And that's almost always when I found the bass. So, man, I have almost completely, or I have completely quit getting information. There's no point. It doesn't matter. Like, you have to go figure it out what's going on that week and that day for that fishery. Yeah, that's great advice. And you probably had a lot more fun and less stress. So in which way, way better. I kind of think that's why we're all doing this. I hope at least, but uh, anyway, so, Hey, thanks uh, for sending that question in Tom and Dylan. Thank you for the response. But Tom, as always, we need one more thing for you. And that is to log on to BassEdge.com. Click the claim your prize tab, fill out the information and let us know that you heard Dylan answer your question right here on episode 396. And we will get the Bass Edge prize pack sent directly to your doorstep. And Bass Edge Nation keeps firing those questions via our Instagram, Facebook, or click the Ask the Pros tab on the website, BassEdge.com. You hear your question answered on the show by a fabulous angler like Dylan Hayes. You could also be taking home that Bass Edge radio prize pack. Dylan, what, uh, again, as always, an informative interview, just like your last one. Uh, congratulations on, on getting uh, that, that top 10. And certainly we are going to be watching and hoping you keep those positive uh, momentums and positive vibes going at Stage 2 Cherokee Douglas Lake in Tennessee. Any final thoughts of wisdom for Bass Edge audience? Man, just, just go out there and have fun. Don't, don't get stressed about Little things. Don't get caught up in the past or not catching fish. If you want to go, just go out there and have fun. Back to what I just said, fish conditions and, and, uh, just know the, the real reasons out there just, just to have a good time. And it's always better than working. <laughs> Absolutely. That's a, that's a great insight right there. So, <laughs> hey, man, best of luck for the remainder of the, uh, 2023 tournament season. Maybe we'll have you on again. So we'll be rooting for you. And Bass Edge Nation, y'all hang tight. Aaron and I are going to be right back with some final highlights of today's program stay tuned 
know the importance of protecting your investments. So why use anything else other than the original and toughest DIY keel protector for your boat? MegaWare Keel Guard. Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our exclusive contoured edge and patented technology. MegaWare Keel Guard Keel Protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the longest-lasting, most dependable keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. Developed specifically by boat builders, offering the best keel protection in the industry. Also for MegaWare Keel Guard, Skeg Guard, Flex Step Pro, and Pontoon Guard. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. MegaWare Keel Guard. The PowerPole Charge Marine Power Management Station is the most advanced system of its kind available on the market. It does the work of three devices, a traditional battery charger, a charge on the run, and an emergency start system all in one compact unit. The charge lets you run your boat's accessories the way you want to run them by allowing you to monitor and control your power usage through the PowerPole app. It automatically devotes power to the batteries that need it the most for maximum efficiency. The new charge from PowerPole. Power where you need it, power how you need it, power when you need it. That brings our show to conclusion, Kurt. But before we do, got to give just a couple mentions to a few things that stood out to me from what Dylan had said. And that was talking about kind of that depth that, and I, I believe he alluded to more reliability, kind of, you know, just able to count on those deeper fish a little bit better than the shallow fish. Is that what you took? Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. He talked a lot about kind of following the fish behavior. We discussed that. And, you know, he talked a lot about power fishing, but he also talked, you know, about his versatility. But when he mentioned that he felt those deep water fish were more reliable, it made me think for a minute, you know, those fish are probably still just haven't reacted yet to the pre-spawn condition. You know, they're still maybe late winter fish. So I kind of see where he's coming from on that. And, and I think it's a really interesting perspective. If you can find some deep late winter fish when many anglers are up chasing those shallow fish that are starting to roam and get involved with that pre-spawn cycle and, and spawn thought process, I could see how those fish would be more reliable and kind of stay stuck where they're at because they're just conditioned there from the winter time already, right? And they just haven't made that move yet. Yeah, no doubt, 100%. And I mean, I think, you know, looking back at my experience has been, that's generally a time to where I like a little bit more of the steeper banks, even more of the, the bluff ends, the ledges that pop back up into those spawning coves, because as the water weather conditions change, they can just move up and down in the water column. They're not having to necessarily make a big lateral move. Sure, they're going to move right. in and out and kind of check that temperature and make sure are things heading that direction. But that's certainly been my experience. So, and then of course, uh, Jay Kumar, it's just hard to add anything to what he does. He's just so dang talented. It's, yeah, it's yeah. kind of funny. Yeah, it's great to have him on the program. Great interview with Dylan. A lot of fun information there to dissect. And another thing, you know, Aaron is, you know, I'm a little sad. This is going to be your last full throttle hurrah right here with Bass Edge for the time being anyway. Yes, it is. It is certainly, you know, it's not going to be forever, perhaps. Uh, we'll, I'll peek in, but... Uh, oh, I'll it, get you to peek. I'm yeah. going to grab you. I, like I said before, yeah. I'll pull you out the closets, huh? Yep, you'll uh, <laughs> you'll make sure uh, make sure that I, I, I at least uh, have some sort of uh, input, I, I'm assuming, on this, if, if nothing else. But um, no, and I, I certainly appreciate that. But yeah, what a ride. What a uh, what a tremendous ride, and I've, I've enjoyed every, every minute of it. And certainly, Kurt, you and I have had a, a lot 
lot of fun doing this. And like I said, it just really all comes back to, you know, I want our partners. I mean, MegaWare. I, I can't say enough about MegaWare, KeelGuard. From day one, when I first met Dave Shumway in uh, Las Vegas at the, uh, I believe it was at the Matt's show at ICAST when they used to do those together. And that's kind of where that relationship started. And then all, all of the other ones down through the years that have just really been, allowed us to kind of step up to the mic every time to make not only the television show, the website, but certainly now uh, the podcast. And we're going through yet another uh, evolution with that. So, uh, you know, I, I gleefully pass on the baton to you and the rest of the crew. I know you're, you're going to be making some major announcements of, of what's coming, uh, who's going to be joining you in the future. So I look forward to now uh, kind of actually, I'm always a fan, but really just tuning in as a fan and uh, kind of listening at it from from that perspective. So I, I really appreciate everything you've done, my friend. Yeah, yeah, man. It's been it's been a great run. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And uh, of course, you know, as we mentioned, Bass Edge is not going anywhere. Just Aaron's checking out for a while. We'll see how long his checkout lasts. And I think eventually you'll miss us so much that you just can't stand it. But we'll, but we'll gotcha, see. That, that'll come in the future. But Bass Edge is going to be available on all those great streaming media platforms that you've used in the past. We're just adding a video portion. So look for us out there on YouTube. We will uh, post, obviously, on our social media places that you'll be able to find us and uh, some new added media that, that we'll have associated with, with Bass Edge Radio. So, Aaron, I know you've always loved it when, when I sing, you know, at the, at the beginning of some, <laughs> some episodes. Yeah. So let me leave you with this, my friend. Good night, sweet darling. It's time to go. That's great. There you go. That's great. All right. Never forget. And certainly <laughs> that is one for the ages and certainly one that I will always remember. So anyway, uh, no, appreciate everything. And to all of our friends uh, there at Bass Edge Nation, uh, thank you so much for allowing me to sit on this side of the table. And I look forward to joining you on the other side of the table now and listening to what Bass Edge has to offer under Kurt's direction. So thanks. And uh, like I've said many, many times before, for Kurt Dove, I am Aaron Martin and the rest of the Bass Edge crew. Until next time. See you later. The Edge is presented by MegaWare KeelGuard. For more information on Bass Edge or to shop at the Bass Edge online store, visit BassEdge.com. And be sure to join Kurt Dove and Aaron Martin right here on another episode of The Edge. Brought to you in part by Nitro Boats, Midway USA, Mercury Marine, Power Pole, and Transport Graphics.